So Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. This is the word of God. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel ran out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the raiders. Yet they would not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived, for the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned, as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Amen. We all love a good story, don't we? Stories that that appeal to us, that grab us. Stories about, you know, underdog heroes, someone who's held back by an uncaring, unfeeling oppressor who's trying to impose some sort of, of rule or law on the people which is harsh, uncaring, unjust, and just plain wrong. Our hero after discovering who they really are, something within them, defeats the villain and gains the freedom and love and acceptance and a better and greater life. The story ends with our hero standing, watching the sun rise on a new day and living happily ever after. That's kind of the general story, the general gist of, of almost every movie you've probably ever watched. From Star Wars to Footloose, from any Marvel film you've watched to the Goonies, from Disney to the Princess Bride, that is the story that we're told. That is the story of these films. And they're good stories, aren't they? Whether they're true or not doesn't really matter. They don't even need to be based in reality. We all get sucked in by a good story. One that that tugs on our heartstrings, that appeals to our compassion, our sense of fairness. Well, I believe that today we are surrounded by a story, a narrative that, in fact, in our our media-driven world with TV and, and movies and social media 
newspapers, magazines, books, billboards, and music, we are being bombarded by a narrative that, that erupted out of the, the sexual revolution and the rise of, of radical individualism um, that we talked about last week. A narrative that continues right to this day. We, we probably don't even realize how much of an influence it has had on our thinking, our beliefs, and even our faith. Today, I want us to think, well, what is this story that we're being bombarded with? What is it? Are the promises of this story, the things that it has promised to do for us, are they coming true? And do we as Christians really believe that we have a better story to offer? So what is this, this story that we're being told, that I'm suggesting to you is all around us? Well, we saw the beginnings of it last week in what Christoph shared with us. How the move to a more individualistic society, in some ways a, a very good thing, led to this, this rise of, of radical individualism, a, a total rejection of social norms to pursue individual happiness at all costs. Sometimes in, in spite of clear truth and even reality itself. That's the story of the world we live in. Isn't it? I should be free to live the way I choose, to love whoever or whatever I choose, to do whatever I choose. We're told that it's loving. We're told it's compassionate. We're, we're told that it's about freedom and equality and fairness and self-determination. It's a great story. It tugs at our empathy. It appeals to our goodness. It even appeals to our Christian values. Love, compassion, freedom from slavery, fairness, justice. It's no wonder Christians in our culture are so confused around some of these issues. You see, we as, as Christians can very easily fall into, into one of two camps on this. When we're talking about the whole area of identity and sexual, uh, sexual identity, we, we either fall back to a position where we, we hold to the truth laid out in Scripture about gender, that marriage is a, is a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman, that marriage is the, the only acceptable place for sexual practice, and anything outside of that is outside of God's way. And there's no problem there. There's no problem with any of that. But we hold to these truths, and in this camp, one of two things can happen. Some of us totally withdraw from the public square because we don't know how to share these truths. And the other option that we have is that we go out and we hammer people with the truth. Because again, we, we don't know how to share this truth in love. Or... We believe that these things are wrong, not because God has something better for us, but because we don't like them. We're personally disgusted by it. And we come to it and act as little more than Pharisees. Then there's the second camp, where some of us go completely the other way. We, as, as loving, compassionate, empathetic Christians, see groups who are looking for freedom, for fairness, for acceptance, and we think, wow, surely we should be all over that. 
We need to, we need to love and to care for and to accept these people, and, and surely God does too. And we throw out God's word, or we come up with all sorts of ways that we twist the word of God out of its context to fit with the story that we're being fed by movies and TV, social media, our workplaces, even in our classrooms. And you see, the issue for both of these groups, those that withdraw behind the truth and lose their love, and those that are tempted to abandon truth in favor of love, is that neither group actually knows how to combat this narrative that we've been told. You see, this story, it paints us as the bad guys. We're the oppressors, the ones trying to impose moralistic rules to curb people's freedom and stop people from being who they really are. The story that surrounds us is one where we're the problem. And the problem is we don't have a clue what to do about it. And we've seen the result. The result of this is we can become entrenched in our position or we accept the narrative and go with the flow. Either of these options is unbiblical. And it shows that we haven't really got a clue about what we believe or why we believe it. We simply don't believe, we don't trust that we have a better story. The, the statistics seem to show us that in the Western church, there is a massive problem with pornography. More and more people in the church are engaging in sex before marriage. Adultery amongst Christians seems to be a growing trend, and divorce for totally unbiblical reasons is increasing as well. We are all, both inside and outside the church, being affected by this individualistic, unbiblical narrative. And the reality seems to be that we don't really believe that God's story is better. And if we don't believe that, then how are we ever going to lovingly challenge the narrative that's out there? And how can we expect to protect ourselves from the influence of it? See, the story sounds so good. It uses all the right words, talks about all the right concepts. It appeals to the good in us. But the reality is, the truth is, that it's a false narrative. And we see that in some of the results. That sexual revolution that we talked about last week that began around the 1960s and has continued with this, this rise of, of radical individualism, that has challenged our beliefs about sexual practices, about sexual orientation, about gender. It's even moved on now to question whether we should have a sex or a gender, or in fact, whether we can identify as anything and be accepted. Because what has now become key and what has now become sacred is not reality, but the sovereignty of the individual, that the individual must be allowed to define themselves. Is this really where we've got to today? 
kind of five foot nine white man claimed to be a six foot five Chinese woman. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think. Uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether you're sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean... I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason you need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot. If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. 
It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a 6'5 Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? Sovereignty of the individual above all else is the, the mantra of today's society. As long as it doesn't, there was, there was one guy who put this little caveat on it, as long as it doesn't harm anybody and as long as it makes them feel happier and freer and allows them to be who they want to be, have at it. So 50 or 60 years later, has it worked? Has the, the sexual revolution, has the rise of, of individual sovereignty above all else led us to a better, led us to the better world that this story promises us? Are we freer, more compassionate, more loving, happier, more content because of all of this? Has the story ended with us sitting, watching the sun rise on a brave new world? No. I could spend hours going through data and statistics that show you that we're, we're less content than ever before. Anxiety and, and mental health issues are through the roof, and that's not just because people feel more comfortable coming forward about them. The individualism of our, of our world has led to an epidemic of loneliness and a collapse of intimacy within our marriages and relationships because sex and commitment have become cheap commodities. We're plagued with doubt about who we are, about what we can and can't say and believe. The suicide rate has, has pretty much steadily risen since the 1960s. And a number of studies have, have shown or seem to show that even though people now are much freer to have sex with whoever they choose, people are actually having less sex than ever before. When you actually look at it and think about it, we're being sold a dud here. We've been sold a lie, and that lie is leading our world into moral and spiritual decline. It's leading to our destruction, not to our salvation. And ultimately, it's leading us to death. Some of you may have questions uh, in your minds about some of, of, some of this um, that we've talked about so far. One of the questions you may have at this point is, why on earth did we read from Judges earlier on? Well, what we're talking about in today's culture, this story, this narrative, it isn't new. This idea of the sovereignty of me over the sovereignty of everything else, including God, it's old news. Yes, the ways in which we are being influenced and bombarded with it might be more intense, but what it's selling is nothing new. It traces its roots not back to the, the sexual revolution of the 1960s, but back to the Garden of Eden and mankind deciding to choose their way over God's way. And it's seen time and time again throughout Scripture, right up to Revelation and throughout the rest of human history. We see the result of, of choosing anything over God's way always results in this same moral breakdown and destruction that we're witnessing all around us today. 
And one of the places in Scripture where we see this really clearly is the book of Judges. A little group of us are are trying to to read the whole Bible in a year um, at the minute, and we're using an an app on our phones to to keep us in touch and to uh, encourage each other. And and one place that we kind of struggled a wee bit um, with just the the level of, of depravity and how low things had gotten for God's people was when we were near the end of the book of Judges. I think we also struggled through that book because in it we, we saw our, such a clear reflection of what the world around us looks like, or certainly the direction we're, we're heading. And you see, when, when we left Israel at the end of our, our Deuteronomy series, um, they aren't in wonderful shape. They've been reliant on God for 40 years, and yet they're still prone to reject him. And Moses gives them this this final speech to remind them of who their God is and that it is only in him and through him that they receive real life. And then Joshua takes over, and it's more of the same. The people are reliant on God to go in and take the promised land for themselves, but they're still prone to forget God and reject him. And like Moses, Joshua keeps trying to remind them of who their God is. And then we come to Judges. In Judges, we see the people of God, they begin to settle into life in the promised land. And Joshua and his generation, they pass away. And the people, they begin to reject God entirely. The passage we read from earlier, from the the start of Judges, is essentially the contents page for the rest of the book. The people abandon their God and, and chase after their own lusts and desires and follow the ways of the nations around them. They look around and see other nations and their gods and the, the freedom that their gods allow them to indulge in all sorts of, of sexual practices, to define themselves however they want and to live however they want. They fall and God rescues them through a judge. And then they fall again and are rescued and they fall again and are rescued but it's a downward spiral. Every time it gets worse and worse and worse. And by the end of the book of Judges, the people are in an absolute state. They are no longer a light to the other nations because they have given up their light and their life to be like the other nations. Why? Because they got caught up in a false story. They believed the other nations had the real freedom, had the real life. They could do whatever they wanted, live however they wanted. And we see the result. They fall into anarchy and destruction and death. The book of of Judges ends with a a little summary statement. Bits of it make appearances right throughout the book as a little refrain. But at the end of the book, it has this line. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The king they had rejected was not one of the earthly kings who was to come. Many of them led the people even further astray. But we see what they're talking about here in 1 Samuel 8, uh, verses 68. Samuel, the the final judge, uh, the people come to him and they demand a king. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, 
And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. The people have rejected God as their king and do whatever seems right to them. Whatever fits into the story, the narrative they have created for themselves to justify what they're doing. And instead of leading them to the greater freedom that they're hoping for, the love and the justice, it leads them into slavery to sin, to destruction and to death. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, what about these days? Once you you break through the, the narrative and see the truth of where it's leading us, you maybe see that it's not so different. In fact, in today's world, this last verse of Judges that we see as disastrous could be held up as a rallying cry for the world around us. There's no God, so let's do what's right in our eyes. In fact, it's actually already happened. I don't know if you you remember um, the the atheist bus campaigns uh, around 2009. They started putting slogans on buses. Um, Buses appeared with this slogan. There's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. Surprisingly similar, isn't it, to that line from the end of Judges? Being held up as a great thing rather than the disastrous thing we know it to be. This world today, it has, a great, it has a great narrative to offer. It promises much, but it delivers little. We see this, this world that exists around us reflected in the pages of Scripture. When people reject God as their king and make themselves and their desires the first most important thing as our world is doing, one of the major areas that, that's quickly affected is identity and sexual identity. I can be whatever I want to be. I can do whatever or whoever I want to do. We see clearly in the Bible time and time again where this rejection of God and his way of life leads people. And we can see clearly in the world that the freedom and fulfillment that the sexual revolution, that this denial of God and his way promised, it hasn't come true either. In fact, we see a world in that same downward trajectory that we see in the book of Judges. So why as Christians do we feel so adrift and so wary of this issue? Why do we hide from it or become legalistic about it or end up supporting it? Well, the question is, do we really believe that we have a better story to tell? Do we believe that what we have is good news? Do we believe that we have a better story for the lovely gay couple down the street who've been together 40 years and couldn't be nicer? Do we believe that we have a better story for the girl in our class at school who believes she was born the wrong gender? 
Do we believe that we have a better story for the person sitting in our pews today who's addicted to pornography? Do you actually believe that? That's something for you to think about over the next week or two. And in the weeks to come, we're going to be thinking more about what our story is and how we go about sharing it in a a truly loving and compassionate way. But let me leave you today with some words from Paul, those words we read earlier at the, the opening of our service, those words from the letter to the Romans. A letter to a church in a place where where all the sexual sins and rejections of reality we see around us today, they're all present. And they're in danger of, of seeping into the church. And Paul writes this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are being bombarded every day by a story. It sounds great, but it simply isn't true, and it leads us nowhere good. Do we believe God's story is better? Do you believe it is the story that leads to real freedom and love and life? Then how do we begin to share the truth of that story with love to those who have been sucked into truly believing the narrative of this world? Those who believe that they don't need a king, that they don't need a God, that they can do whatever is right in their own eyes? How do we speak into that? There's a question to get stuck into in your discipleship groups this week. But right now, let's pray. Lord, we, we come here today, Lord, and we, we recognize that we are being constantly influenced by the world around us. Lord, some of us run away from that. Some of us react badly to that. Some of us, tired of of trying to swim against the, the, the current and the stream, we're tempted to just go with it. But Lord, we know that your story is a better story. We know, Lord, that you are our maker, that you are our creator, that through you we have life. Not just eternal life, but we have life here and now. Lord, you told us that you came to bring us life. Lord, we pray that as we, as we begin to think about these issues, Lord, as we maybe wrestle with our, our own convictions, our own thoughts around some of these, these difficult issues, Lord, that you would just speak to us through your word. Lord, that you would shape our opinions and our beliefs. Lord, that we would know your good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. 
And Lord, that we would be able to, to throw off the shackles of, of sin and slavery to this world. Lord, that you would help us to conform no longer. And Lord, we pray that you will help us, Lord, as we go from this place, Lord, out into a world that believes a lie, into a world that is in desperate need of you. And Lord, you call us to be your light. You call us to bring life and light into darkness, perhaps into people's lives who don't even know, who don't even recognize that they are living in darkness. Lord, as we think about these things over the next number of weeks, Lord, we pray you will help us to figure out how to share your story, how to share your love, how to share this story that brings us true freedom, true life. How do we share that in a loving, compassionate, caring way? Lord, help us to trust in your story. Help us to trust in your um, in what you have for us, Lord. And help us to live in that this week. Amen.